0: All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. You guys look good. It's good to be here. All right, let's open up in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, We pray that our hearts will be open, that we can be transparent in front of you, and that your word will minister to us, that it will pierce our hearts. We'll get closer to you this very day. Your name, amen. All right. Well, it's good to see you. We're in a series on friendship. and uh, we're just going to go ahead and jump on in. Uh, I'm going to tell you today about how to how to make a friend, how to be a friend, um, but specifically, uh, how do you develop a spiritual friendship? So that's what we're going to be looking at today. If you want to get your Bibles out, turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, and we're going to start at verse 32. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. "'Stay here and keep watch.' "'Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed "'that if it at all possible, that the hour might pass from him. "'Abba, Father,' he said, "'everything is possible for you. "'Take this cup from me. "'Yet, not what I will, but what you will.' "'Then he returned to his disciples. "'He found them sleeping.' Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not watch for, watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy and he did not they did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Okay, so this is a very powerful poignant little snapshot in Jesus's life this is this is the this is the epitome of his anguish he knows what's going to happen and what we see what I want to illustrate in this in this chapter is that it's really about friendship what we see is we see how to be a really good friend and how to be a really bad friend <laughs> so we see both Obviously Jesus is the good friend and we see him do some, we see him do two things in this chapter. We see him being very trans, transparent and very open in front of his friends. And at the same time, he is also instructing them. He's also correcting them, he's also disciplining them at the same time. We also see something that's very important to friendship that the disciples lacked. They lacked commitment. They lacked the ability to, to stick with it. They, they lacked faithfulness. They, they, couldn't, they couldn't watch. They couldn't stay awake. They couldn't pray. And it's not a, so this isn't a, a story or illustration about prayer. This is a story and an illustration about being committed and about a committed friendship. So we're going to be looking at those things today. We're going to be looking at those, those three things. We're going to be looking at uh, the ability to, to be completely transparent, the ability to be committed, and the ability to, to build each other up as friends. Ironing, sharpening iron. I've told this story. I tell this story uh, just about every time that we do the 101 class whenever we have somebody new that's coming into the church. Um, after college, I went to Charleston, South Carolina, and... It was there that I felt completely alone. I had no family, so I had no support system, and I had no friends. All I had was my job and, and Tolstoy. So I read War and Peace. That was my, he was my friend. <laughs> That's exciting, huh? But I didn't, I didn't really have any social connections I tried to get into church, and I talked about that where, you know, I, I went to all these different types of churches, and they really didn't fit in. I have a weird last name, and so they just didn't know what to do with me. They kept on, you know, directing me to the synagogue, and was like, this is, no. Uh, I found a church that felt and looked a lot like this one. There was a new church. It's actually, ironically, it's this big, giant, mega church in the south right now. It's just kind of exploded. But I went to this this church, and it was... You know, it had, that wasn't nearly as big as it is now. Went to the young adult group, and I felt comfortable. I felt comfortable because everybody was casual. You know, the pastor had a Hawaiian shirt on. And I'm like, this, this is it. I'm home. And um, they I went to the young adult group, and the young adult pastor stood me up in front of everybody and says, this is Joshua Kaplipski. <laughs> and... If this is the actual words out of his mouth. He is an outsider from Los Angeles. So I never went back. Um, so I was, I was alone. It was horrible. I don't know, maybe you're alone. It's, just, it's not good. It's not how God created us. God created us for friendship. He created us for family. He created us to be in community. You weren't created to be alone. In fact, as we looked at last week and the week before, you know, God created Adam, and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. All right? So here's the thing about loneliness and isolation. It is the only condition, it is the only pain that does not have its root in sin. All the other problems you have in life, your your illness, your disease, your social problems, your, your anger, I don't know, what your lust, and all these different things that you struggle with in life, they're all a result of sin. They're all a result of, of the fall. Either you sinned, or somebody else sinned, or you can just blame it on Adam and Eve. Okay? It, it's... It, Um, everything, all your problems in this world are a result of sin with the exception of loneliness. That one was there before the fall. And so are we saying that God created Adam imperfect? No. Actually, Adam was created perfect. He had that desire to connect with, with another individual, to develop a bond, a relationship that was beyond just eros, beyond just, you know, uh, sexual desire or erotic love. He was built for friendship, for community because he was made in God's image. And so really, it wasn't until I was alone in Charleston that I felt this this pain, this human condition. My support system was gone. And uh, so we want to talk about this. Now, I was young. I was 23 years old. I was, I was directing a, a museum. I actually retrofitted a building, built this museum, and um, uh, I hired a staff, and my secretary, over a period of time, got to know me. She was, um, she was a, a, a black lady. She was like you know, Miss Daisy, but black, okay? And she was the sweetest thing in the world. And we had absolutely nothing in common. You know, she just, she just walked in one day with her, with her, her grass hat on and her, her Sunday best, and she, said, and she says, I'm, I want a job here. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> so that was, that's kind of how Madeline, you know, became my secretary. And over a period of time, after she got to know me, after she got to understand my personality and my character, something happened inside of her that went out towards me. She had compassion for me. Her heart broke for the young, alone man in a foreign country. The South is a foreign country. I don't know if you know that or not. <laughs> um, her heart broke for me. And we, we developed an unusual friendship. And that's what, I want, that's what I want to talk to you about. First point, if you want to make notes, you can make this note. You need friendship. Friendship is needed. God wired you. God made you for friendship. And Madeline had the uncanny ability. She had the God-given ability to see that I was in need. And she looked at me and she says, Mr. Josh you know, you know the Bible says it's not, it's not good for man to be alone. And I, and I can see that you're alone. So why don't you come over to my house for dinner tonight? So she knew, she knew my need. She could see my need. And she was able and willing to connect to me at my point of need. Okay? So it's needed. It's not good for us to be alone. Friendship is completely unique um, because we actually have to choose friendship right? family love you really don't have a choice in that you know you have your brother you have to love him whether you like him or not you're just kind of bound to him right you know and, and you know friendships are, are sweets friendships are a little bit different right? when you know when bad things happen your family is always there for you and your friend is always there for you but a friendship is different. The Bible says that you know, a brother is there for adversity, a friend is always faithful. So there is a difference. But you have to work towards friendships. Even, even erotic love, even romantic love, eros, um, it's not completely a choice, especially... For those of you know that have fallen in love, right? Oh, I just can't help myself. I'm just, I just love this person. It makes absolutely no logical sense whatsoever, but I love them. I can't help it. I'm completely controlled by my passion, right? Have you ever been in that state where you've been completely, where, where it just makes you stupid, right? You know, love makes you stupid. So, but friendship is not like that. It's, it's, it's something that you choose. It's not something that controls you or something that dictates you, dictates the relationship. So um, it's completely unique. And it's desperately needed. You, myself, you have to have a connection with an individual, and I'll even go this far right now, a spiritual connection with an individual to do what Jesus did. And express your emotions. To be transparent. And this is what Jesus does. He does it in the garden and he does it to his friends as he's on his way out. He says, the grief is so bad I can barely take it. In the other gospels it says that Jesus is sweating blood. I mean, he is in anguish and he our Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, creator of the universe, expresses his emotions to his friends. And he says, this is, I, can, I, can, I can barely handle this. I know what's coming down the road, and I'm expressing my emotions to you. I can't handle this. I, I know. I would, I would really like it if you stuck around and prayed for me. So, you see, we see, we have to have those types of friendships where we can get it out. Now, some of you and I'm not, this is not a bad thing. I'm not, I don't have a critical spirit on this at all. But some of us need a counselor or a psychologist and that's good, okay? You need that help. You need to, you need to have that avenue where you're, where you're, you're getting stuff out and you are able to express your emotions and you get the help. And psychologists and counselors, they, they actually have skill and they can do things that, that your friends can't do, like give you medicine. Uh, they can do things that pastors can't do. So there's a huge value for Christian counseling. I'm not bashing that at all, okay? But what I'm saying is you can't allow a counselor to take the place of a friend. And if your counselor is worth anything, worth, its, worth his or her salt, what do they tell you in your counseling sessions? What, what do, they, where do they guide you to? They guide you to relationships. They guide you to meaningful friendships, And in your mind, like, well, I want you to be my friend. Here's the catch. You are paying them to be your friend. It's a false friend. They're up front with you. You ought to be up front with yourself. If you're paying for that type of friendship, you're tricking yourself. Get the help that you need from them, but they are going to tell you to seek friendships, to seek meaningful relationships. You know, to live alone uh, there's studies out that says that's what leads to sickness and disease. People live, they don't live as long. The ones that are disconnected from people. That's the great irony, huh? Especially because they say, "I don't need anybody." So you can't you can't trick yourself into you know paying a counselor to do the things that a good spiritual friend should do. We saw we went to a conference a couple weeks ago. I talked about this. Uh, David Klingerman who's uh, oversees the Barna group and they're trying to figure out why young people are leaving the church in Groves right now what's the disconnect why is there why is there a disconnect between you know high school and then we might never see them again right so there's this problem that they're trying to solve and one of the things that they've learned about young people is that young people are extremely smart they're smarter than you think they are I know you think your kids are are not too bright, but they're smart. They're tricking you, okay? And they're extremely intuitive. And what they have discovered is that, you know, the hypocrisy that, that people have towards the church, it's because kids have an understanding that the youth pastor is paid to be their friend. It's a false friend. And so, we need to have meaningful friendships. Meaningful relationships. This is where we're headed today. So, don't trick yourself. Don't have false friends. Uh, you need a spiritual friend. Now, I mentioned earlier that being alone, it's the only condition It's the only pain that's not founded in sin. But your condition, if you are alone, if you are experiencing isolation, I'm going to challenge you to ask yourself a very important question. Is there sin in my life that is keeping me isolated? That's a hard question to ask. That's going to take some self-reflection. You need to say, is... Do I have some, some hurt, some, some self-destructive behavior, some anger that's keeping me from connecting with people? Is my pain a result of my sin, or is the pain just a result of a circumstance that I just happen to be in? And we have to take care of that. We have to, we have to mend our own weeds. Next major point. Friendship is needed. Friendship, spiritual friendship, is discovered true friendship is discovered and not paid for. You see, the chances are, if you're alone, if you're feeling that, that, that emptiness of heart where you're just not connecting with anybody, chances are, you have a friend sitting right next to you and you're blind to that and you choose not to see it. Because in our minds, we think that our friend's should look like us, should act like us, should be in the same age bracket as us. And that's, you know, that's, that's my clique. You know, I'm only going to hang out with guys that wear letterman jackets. And the beautiful thing about my relationship with Madeline is we had nothing in common. Nothing. She was a light-skinned Southern Belle, born and bred generations in Charleston, South Carolina. I am a white guy from Los Angeles. I have no idea what's going on with my life. I just know that I'm doing something interesting, and I'm alone. We have nothing in common. And we began to forge, we discovered an unusual friendship. And it would be... arrogant. It would be narcissistic. It would be selfish. It would be self-centered if you said, I'm only going to be friends with that type of person. There's no way I would ever try to even connect with somebody that didn't look like me, act like me, or didn't fit my, you know, my cast. So I'm going to challenge you. Spiritual friendship is discovered. Discovered. It's in the least likely places. Even our, even our culture understands this. Even our culture sees a value in this. Just think about, think about the whole buddy movie thing. We all like to go to the buddy movies, right? And there's, there's a premise to these buddy movies. It involves two guys or two gals that have absolutely nothing in common. One's a neat freak and one's, you know, one's a slob. You know, one is, you know, one's Mel Gibson and one's Danny Glover, you know, a crazy guy and a family man, you know, it's the odd couple, and they, they clash, they drive each other crazy, you know, they do crazy, you know, rantics happen, and it's just, it's just nuts, but then they find a common goal, and they accomplish something great, and they become best friends, it's in the Bible, too. Mako talked about it last week. Jonathan and David. Jonathan, the crown prince of Israel, and David, a, a shepherd boy that, that got lucky with the giant that was actually on his way to opposing the throne. Somehow the un, you know, unlikely friends became friends. And then just think about Jesus and the disciples. Je- who did Jesus choose to be his friends? Some of the biggest knotheads on the planet the most unlikely people to be friends and he chose them. So why can't we be like Jesus? Why can't we choose people in our lives to be unlikely friends? Why? Friendship has to be discovered. You know what? Some of us need to discover that our spouse is our best friend. We went into this relationship with Eros and not not fidelity, not not friend love. We went in with erotic love, and everything got lost. Everything got complicated. Everything got confused. You know what? Your best (laughs) friend, you might be sleeping with your best friend and not even know it. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) That that happens to be married, okay? Okay, Make that, a, make that a point there. But just think about it. That's what life ought to be. That's what relationship ought to be. Your spouse ought to be your best friend. That's why you, that's why you were on the phone together until 2 o'clock in the morning when you were dating because you had something to talk about. So I want to encourage you in that way to discover friendship. Next thing, this is going to be where the hard work is going to be done, is that friendship has to be managed, it has to be taken care of, it has to be built upon. It takes work. And those of you that are married, you know this. You know that, that marriage takes work, a lot of work. You've got to read some books and stuff. You've got to go to some conferences. It takes a lot of work to have a successful marriage. And the same is true for any type of friendship. But see, the problem is our, our culture doesn't value friendship anymore. We just don't. We just don't see it as a value. We, if you go to the grocery store and you see the end cap, and you see all the, the glossy magazines, it, are there best friends on the cover? No. It's people that are having affairs or people that are hooking up. It's, it's, it's that erotic love. It's the eros. But there's no, there's no like, genuine friendship on the, on the covers. We don't value it. And friendship is actually on the decline, or it's actually harder to do because our society is so mobile. We can't take the time to invest in valuable friendships because people are moving. And we have a false sense of community because we've got this thing called the internet and Facebook. <laughs> and if you want to talk about false friends, just look at your 500 friends that you have on Facebook. You don't even, I don't even know who these people are. <laughs> it's like... Did I really go to school with that guy? I don't know. But if you think about that, we we're having more and more false friends. We have less connection with people. And in order for us to have meaningful connections, you model it on what Jesus did. He had a handful, and then he had the 12. Those are who that he's invested in. And we need to do the same. So it takes time. It takes, you have to manage it, and when you enter into a spiritual friendship, you have to again do what Jesus did and you have to share your heart. You have to be transparent. Madeline was meeting a need that I had. She was ministering to me. She was she saw my pain and she was there to comfort me on some level, right? But then something else happened. She expressed her heart to me. She opened up her life to me. She told me her story. See, she wasn't just a black lady in the south. She was a half, she was a light-skinned black in the south. She literally lived between two worlds. She she her church was the very first church built by freed black hands in the United States. And they had established this, this community of lighter skinned blacks that, that came from the plantation owners. And they, they had their own, they owned their own property, they were they were wealthy compared to, you know, the the slaves, obviously. But they developed this society, and as Madeline was growing up, she found herself in two worlds. And she would share her frustration and her confusion about being a black woman in the South where the black community wouldn't entirely embrace her. There were two types of uh, black communities in Charleston. There were the Geechies, and the Gullahs and they both had cultural connections to Africa and they didn't like Madeline. They wouldn't even let Madeline into church because her skin was too light and then well I mean she told me of times when her life was threatened by the Ku Klux Klan her father was a, he was a, a, a manager of the docks and he was light enough skin that he could pass off as being white and there was an altercation once where he could have been killed. And she shared this. And she shared the day that the South was desegregated. And she said, Mr. Joshua, on that day, I got my, my grass hat, put it on my head. I got my Sunday best. And I went into Woolworths. Wolves, wolves, I sat at the soda fountain, and I had a soda, and it was the best soda I've ever had in my entire life. And she shared her heart with me. <laughs> Mia, you know, 23-year-old guy from Los Angeles, nothing in common. But that's what friends do. You see, I'm a, you know, I'm a pastor, and usually when I get together with friends, it just, I, it just naturally defaults to pastor mode, right? Like everybody's just like, okay, Josh, I got this problem, and you can pray for me, and okay, I need your counsel, I need your guidance. Can you do this? What, what do you think? What do you think? What should I do? What should I do? And so this is usually my life, and then I and I have a friend, and this is going on. so again, I'm automatically defaulting to pastor mode, but this friend, as he's unloading stuff, and I, and I'm you know I'm being a good friend. I'm listening. I'm taking it on. This friend has the wisdom to stop and say. I'm talking too much about myself right now, aren't I? What's going on in your life? You see, friendship is reciprocal. And if we enter into friendship, like, I want to be your friend, I'm going to tell you all my stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It takes time. See, Madeline and I got, we, we took our time, we got to know each other. You know, it, it, it took time before we could open up on certain levels like that. So friendship, it, um, you have to share your heart. You have to do what Jesus did. It's a scary thing to do sometimes. Another thing that spiritual friends do is you have to share your things and you have to share your time. Once we began to develop this friendship, um, it was, I'm coming to get you, and we're going to church. And then she had me over for dinner all the time, and she would always bring me lunch into the office. So not only was she giving me stuff, but she was also giving me time, valuable time. My, my, my kids are coming in. I want you to come over to have dinner with us. I want, you to, I want to introduce you to my kids. So she took the time to have me come into her house. She says, this, this, roof, this roof was ripped off by Hurricane Hugo. So this is, this, is what, this is what friends do. This is what spiritual friends do. They, they, they sacrifice. Fellowship sacrifices. Time and things. Are you able to share your things and share your heart? This one's important. This one, the other two could probably translate into secular friendship. But this one can't. This one is very unique to the Christian faith. Spiritual friends, they share their faith. They literally preach the gospel to one another. So I'm preaching the gospel now, but actually you're required to do that with each other. You're required to give the good news to each other. You need to be able to see what's going on in their life. You need to be able to speak life into their situation. You need to be able to minister to them, and they need to be able to minister to you. You've got to be able to see your friend, and you need to be able to recognize the spiritual attack that is on them, and intercede and pray for them. I, I came from a, I came from a tradition of a revival. And so I've got I've got revival in my blood. It's in my DNA. I just you can't get it out once you've experienced it. And so I've got revival in my blood. So I was able to actually bring my experience. Okay, I'm not a pastor. I'm a museum director, but I am able to bring my experience of God into my relationship with Madeline. And she has um, an Episcopalian approach to faith not saying that's bad. I mean, I was an Episcopalian for a while. I learned how to do this, you know. It's because the guy in the Hawaiian shirt didn't like me. Anyway. um, (laughs) So, she was able to, we were able to have these spiritual conversations. Two doors down from Madeline was the local witch doctor, a Geechee witch doctor. Voodoo is big in Charleston. You think of Charleston as New Orleans without the tourists. Without the commercialism. It is, voodoo is so entrenched into the culture, it's, it's, it's scary. Every other house, every, like every fifth house, they have, their, they have the trim on their house painted like this neon blue. And that's to ward off evil spirits. I, I, when I retrofitted the church to become a museum, I ripped out all the pews and took down all the crosses, um, and, I, and I had an apartment in the basement, and the the community that I mistakenly moved into was a black community. I didn't know better i didn't know you weren't white people weren't supposed to live in black communities, but everybody told me that I shouldn't be there except for the community that I was living with, but anyway, so I was living in, a, in an apartment in a church that I, that I made, and these little kids from the community would bring me uh, charms that their mother had made, and they, like chicken's feet, and in, in weird little pouches with stuff in it, and they would say, say, Mr. Josh, you, you can't sleep there, because there's dead bodies in that place, See, my mama made this for you, and it's going to ward off the, the witches and the hags and the evil spirits. So it's like, I don't know, how do I accept a gift like this? This is kind of awkward. I'm like, okay, okay thank you. <laughs> and then I get, get rid of it as soon as I possibly can, but that's, that's the spiritual environment that I was in. And Madeline's neighbor, three doors down, um, was a witch doctor, or I don't know what they, what they call ladies that do this kind of stuff, but um, and every Sunday, Madeline would put on her little grass hat and her Sunday best, and she'd, be, she'd walk to church, and, and she, would, she, would, she would greet this lady on the porch, and she says, "Hi, honey, how you doing? Have a blessed day." And the woman would give her ugly looks and mean looks and stuff like that, and uh, no, no, you know, no connection. And then, so while I, was, while I was working there, Madeline would go into church with her grass hat on, walking by, and says, hi honey, how you doing today? Have a blessed day. And this, this, this witch doctor says, root your mouth. And she had a handful of goofu dust and she threw it on her. And the root your mouth is a spell to tell her to shut up, basically. And, she, and this was Madeline's response. Because we were having discussions on spiritual warfare. And Madeline's response is, you have no power over me. I'm a child of the high-boss God. Go back to hell where you belong. <laughs> okay. Now, yeah. now, of course she wasn't talking to the, the, the person. She was talking to the, the principality and the spirit behind, that was controlling the lady. But you see, we live in a spiritual world whether you recognize it or not. And there's things that are unseen. And there are things that are unseen that are happening to your best friends. And it is your job to intercede. And it is your job to pray for them. And it is your job to seek protection for them. We've had a lot of spiritual protection this week. From injury, from death. And I can't help but to think it's because of this church family. Of its prayers and of its covering. Because we are interceding, and we are engaged, and we are active in spiritual warfare. She taught me things about spiritual warfare, because I was was in in a spiritual environment that was going to eat my lunch. And I was able, from my revival experience, to teach her things about the kingdom of heaven that she didn't know yet. You see? You see how valuable spiritual friendship can be when we're open and vulnerable to each other next major point a spiritual friendship is you have to share your decisions with each other you're not alone we live. This is an individualistic society that we live in, and we think that we have the right to do whatever we want to do, to make whatever choices that we want to make, and that they don't involve anybody else or affect anyone else. And that's just not true. And it's definitely not the Christian community. A few weeks ago, I talked about how Paul was, he felt led to go to Jerusalem, and he had people in his life. He had church, the body of Christ, friends saying, Eh, I don't know about that. In fact, the Holy Spirit told us that you actually shouldn't go. And he went anyway. And it, it didn't go well. I mean, there was no fruit from his time in Jerusalem. They actually, the irony is he ended up back in Europe where he belonged. But there was no fruit in, what, in Paul's decision. But here's the thing. Here's, what, here's where we see Paul's character come out. Because even though his friend said, I don't know about this decision. You know what Paul's response was not? His response was, Well, you can't tell me what to do. I hear from God Most High. I, I, I don't listen to any man. I only listen to God. Okay, that attitude right there is a lie from the devil and it's not the Christian community. We are made to minister to each other, to lead each other To hold each other accountable. And for us to say, You know, Madeline, I'm not going to take your counsel. I don't respect you well enough to take your counsel. That is irresponsible Christianity. It's irresponsible uh, Christian walk. It's pride. And we see, even though Paul went his own way, he took their counsel. There wasn't a, you can't tell me what to do. I'm, I'm St. Paul. And so, when you, when you open yourself up to receive counsel and to receive direction from your friends, receive it. When you feel led to give it, give it. If you feel the inclination that I want to control, you're in sin. <laughs> if you ever feel the inclination, I don't want to be controlled, you're, you're in sin. The body of Christ is here for accountability. It's here for guidance. You have to be able to bounce stuff off of your spiritual friends. That's how we were made. And for us to say, I only hear from God and that's all that matters... Well, that's heresy. It goes against everything that the Bible's taught us about living in community and about being spiritual friends with one another. All right. The Bible is full of counsel. Proverbs 27, 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. See, that's the problem. When you get counsel from a friend and it hurts, you don't want to receive it. But an enemy multiplies kisses. So right now, my wife is helping me with my wardrobe because I'm fashion challenged. I think I dress myself well. But when I put on cowboy boots and shorts, my wife says to me, you can't go out in public like that. And I get my feelings hurt. Are you kidding me? This looks good. He says, no, honey, it, you don't look good. You look like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and it hurts sometimes. But don't you all agree that I ought to have my wife dress me in the morning? There was a time in my life where I'd wear a brown belt and black shoes. Oh, <gasps> I know. But my wife has saved me. It was... It was the wounds of a friend that helped me in this situation. So we don't, we don't see our own mess. You know, we, we, we begin to believe our own lies, that we look good, that we smell good, that we're acting okay. When a friend will say, "Nah, yeah, that's, just, that's just not too hot. If you really love somebody, if they're really your friend... You will tell them that they're wrong, and if you think to yourself, eh, "I don't want to, I don't want to cause, I don't want to, I don't want any drama. I'd rather we just glaze things over and not deal with stuff. I don't want to disrupt the friendship," then you really don't love that person. You really don't. See again another one. Proverbs twenty-seven nine. Um, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the, the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. So advice from your friend, initial reaction, you might be offended, but if you're wise, it brings you joy. Oh my gosh, I have somebody that loves me enough that won't let me go out in public looking like this. And then iron, of course, sharpens iron as one person sharpens another. All right, to wrap this all up, conclusion. We live in a culture that doesn't value friendship. The ancients got it. Cicero wrote a whole book on it. They understood it better than we do. There's a there's a virtue to friendship that we've lost. It takes an incredible amount of vulnerability to enter into friendship. Friendship has to be, you have to have a common denominator when you enter into friendship. Again, we are made for friendship. We have that deep desire to connect with somebody. But friendship can't be the thing. It can't be the catalyst. It's like if you go and say, hey, would you be my friend? Would you be my friend? Would you be my friend? Uh, how, how well do you think that's going to go? It's, it's not going to go too well. My uh, last night, uh, Jake Hamilton did a recording in the church, and he did this, this song. One lyric stuck out in my head. He said, "I'm living. I've been living a life of um, of desiring the affections of others. Okay. Living a life of desiring affection from others, and I've realized that I'm alone." If affection and if desire and friendship is the only thing that you're going after, the ironic thing is not going to get you that far. The common denominator is what you need to have. It's what needs to be the catalyst for the friendship, and it should be Jesus. Um, did I talk about my friend from high school? No. Okay, that was first service. I got it mixed up. You might think I'm a nice guy. I'm a lousy friend. I'm not going gonna, gonna to forget about your birthday. I'm not going to call you up. I'm an only child. I'm kind of selfish sometimes. So for 18 years, I was an only child. I have a friend in high school, from high school, he calls me or emails me or texts me every year on my birthday, and I always forget about his. You know what we had in common in high school? Mustangs and girls. We went to college together. We went to the same college. In college, we, what we had in common was Mustangs and girls. calls me on my birthday in, in March and, his, uh, and I'm like wow he was, the, he was the, my, uh, my uh, best man at my wedding so I called him up this year I was like okay this year I'm not going to blow it this year I'm going to be a good friend this year I'm going to work hard on connecting with, with my friend that's been faithful to me even when I haven't been faithful to him and I call him up and he lives in San Francisco we have a conversation that goes on for an hour. And you know what we have in common? It's not Mustangs and Girls. We, <laughs> we, no, we, we, we have both have sold our Mustangs, and we're both married. So We have in common family, our wives, our kids, what we're doing in life and the Lord. What is the Lord doing in your life? You see, those are the types of friendships that we need to pursue, that we need to go after. And there's a key to this. There's a, there's a powerful key to this. Because God is about friendship and he's about community. And when, when Jesus made those 12 knuckleheads his friends it changed the world it released heaven on earth so there's a key there to spiritual friendship Jake was a uh, Jake had a friend that was sharing last night about how Jake right after that that lyric that he sung about you know his his uh, misguidings about you know wanting to be important or wanting significance and finding himself alone well his friend was sharing how him and jake became friends and they, they met and they discovered that they both had a passion to see the power of god move that was the basis of the friendship it wasn't the friendship does that make sense the basis of the friendship wasn't the friendship the basis of the friendship was to see god move in a powerful way and they, they had this crazy idea to go to abortion clinics and the only thing that they're going to do is have communion that's all they did they didn't pick it they didn't yell at people they didn't do anything but they just did that and they, they ran and six of them shut down you see what it did you see what that spiritual friendship did it released kingdom it released heaven on earth when there, when there is that type of intimacy, it does something very powerful. And so what I'm telling you this morning is, yeah, go after friendship. Make it Christ-centered. Be friends with this church. What is, what's, what's the catalyst of this church? We want to see heaven on earth. We have a kingdom theology. We want to see more breakthrough. We want to see more miracles. What's the catalyst of this church? Justice. we're we're taking care of a lot of poor kids right now we have compassion for our community we have compassion for the downtrodden that could be a catalyst for a friendship that you might have within this church we have a passion to see strong families built strong marriages strong relationships with kids could you imagine if our church was had healthy relationships where like your kids actually wanted to be like you (laughs) and want to have that relationship that you have with your spouse? Most people are like, "Eh, I don't want anything to do with my parents or how they did things, and I don't want anything to do with the church because it's all fake. Could you imagine if a family was redeemed and they modeled Christ-like behavior off of the Bible and it was empowered with the Holy Spirit? an amazing thing. It'd be an amazing thing. What is that thing that you're passionate about, that thing from the Lord that you're passionate about? Discover that you have a friend in here that's passionate about the same thing. It could be the one that's sitting right next to you. It could be that quiet person that, that, that hasn't engaged in church yet. You guys might have the same passion for God expressed a different way. we got to have the band and the ushers to come to the front. As they're on their way up, uh, I had an unusual experience. After everybody left, I was still working on my sermon. I was getting things tightened up. And I was just spending some time with the Lord um, in prayer. And uh, I, I, I was actually praying right here, and just kind of going through, you know, the list. I did the Lord's Prayer, Father in heaven, hallowed be the name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Forgive us of our sins, as we forgive those sins against us. Lead us not into temptation. So, basically, what I'm doing in my prayer life, I'm having a real conversation with, with God, who's my friend. I'm not, I'm speaking to him as if I'm speaking to you. I'm not doing the these and the vows, and I'm not getting all overly worked up. I'm having a conversation with God, and I'm taking care of business. God, is there, is there sin in my life? Let's, let's pull these weeds out. Let's get rid of this stuff. Okay, is there areas in my life that I need to work on? Okay, who do I need to pray for? I prayed for you. I, did, I was doing all this stuff that, that we need to do when we, when we have a conversation with God. And then I began to spend... Uh, okay, when I do run out of things to say, I, I, sometimes I pray in the spirit and that sounds kind of weird and spiritual, whatever, but it's not it's just because I don't have anything else to say, and God prays for me. But um, as I was taking care of all the, the busyness of life, right here, right? <coughs> Emotions and stuff and whatever, um, the, the stillness of the Lord kind of took all this clutter. It took it away. And this got lifted off, and it was this right here that the Lord was looking at. And that is an interesting experience. Sometimes God talks to me. Sometimes he gives me very strong impressions, strong leadings. Okay, I wasn't getting any of that, which is fine. I, I mean, I've learned how to deal with not hearing from God. It just, it's part of the Christian walk. Sometimes you don't, you don't hear from him. So I was just trying to be obedient. But then everything got stripped away, and it's just here. And it's just... The best way that I can explain it is... Okay, remember in Lord of the Rings when Frodo puts the ring on? And the big, evil, dark Lord Sauron says, I can see you. Right? Remember that? Hmm. That's what it was. And it's like, God could see my spirit. And you know what I experienced? I experienced the fear of God. I was afraid. It's not because I had unconfessed sin or anything like that. It's because... He could see my vulnerability he can see my nakedness I didn't like it to be vulnerable before the Lord is difficult it's scary it's painful to enter into a spiritual relationship a spiritual friendship is a lot like that it's hard to do it's extremely hard to be vulnerable in front of other people. I want you first to be vulnerable before the Lord. He sees you. He sees all this clutter in your life, but he also sees your spirit. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he's out to transform you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. God, I pray that you would just give us the courage to, first of all, be vulnerable before you, to be transparent before you, to have a real, honest conversation with you. And God, I pray that you will give us the courage to be transparent with others, the courage to discover other friendships, the discipline to manage and maintain and to take care of the friendships that we have. And Father, I pray that it would just release kingdom, kingdom in our personal lives, breakthrough in our church, miracles, revival that we've been praying for. For right now, I just pray for everyone that they will have the courage to seek that friend. We love you. Amen.